and welcome back to Life-Giving Habits from Seven Vineyards, where we are looking at things Jesus did and asking if we do them too, can we become more like Jesus? And so can they become life-giving habits for us? Today, in the final talk of this series, Mal Caladine looks at how we can stretch or be stretched into something more than we have and more than we are. But how does that work? And what is stretch? Well, should we go to the dictionary definition? Um, to draw out or extend oneself to your full extent, to extend or spread so as to reach a new point or place. Um, we can think of it uh, maybe more ne- negatively. You know, I was really stretched by that experience where you're lengthened by tension. Um, and uh, it can be used negatively around clothes <laughs> that are no longer looking as good as they were. Um, but uh, I'm wanting to look at it from a positive point of view because I want to posit to you today that it's a godly concept. He wants to do it. Isaiah 54, verse 2, can we go there? says this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords strengthen your stakes. There's something about the more of what God has for us, what God wants of us. But the word stretch um, can feel negative to us. And we were wondering about even having the similar word, um, uh, risk. And then uh, I looked at the dictionary definition of risk, and it's only that. Exposure to the chance of injury or loss. That's my favorite parenting picture. Um, (laughs) um, Exposure to the chance of injury uh, or loss. That sounds quite negative, doesn't it? Whilst, Whilst stretch, there's something positive about the Lord has more. I think the Lord has more. Where is, he, where is he calling you to be stretched, that you enlarge your territory, you enlarge your influence, you enlarge what you're called to? I think it links to what your attitude is towards, um, towards being stretched, which is really what I want to look at. So I want to look at a few heroes of mine who are um, uh, uh, people I think have engaged with stretch like nobody I know. And... Uh, ask you a few questions and give you four principles of the areas to be stretched. And then we're going to remember Jesus. Um, But one of those, the first of those questions is just in response to this. So first question is, what is your attitude to risk? How would you describe your attitude? Are you risk averse? Are you risk aware? Are you sensitive, an embracer, tolerant, or a taker? Do you love it? (laughs) Yeah? It influences how you respond to the thought of being stretched. Have a moment to talk to the person next to you. Because the introverts have already gone, yeah, I know what I think. (laughs) So, extroverts, (laughs) your chance to think by talking to somebody. Tell the people next to you, what do you think for you? Two minutes. So, can we get a sense in the room? If, we're, if it's 
saying I'm more risk averse over this end or more of a risk taker in that end, where would you point in the spectrum? So you could be averse, middle-ish, or bring it on, or only when I've spoken to Dan, who <laughs> I know sensible. Wow, interesting, come people poking each other's eyes out. <laughs> really interesting. Okay, why do I think this is important is because of the first of my heroes. Um, the first of my heroes is this couple, uh, Tim and Maz Walker. This picture came up on one of my uh, social feeds recently. Um, Tim and Maz have worked in, the, in South Africa, in the townships of South Africa, for a number of years, starting a, a village for children who are orphaned or um, with H uh, HIV and various other things. Um, and they're brilliant, and uh, it's been a pr I get to speak to them fairly regularly, um, and they do a project uh, all over, um, well, in the last three months, I think they've been in South Africa, in the north of Madagascar, and in Uganda. And uh, they are amazing people, and they, they work with doing this uh, kind of appropriate education program called Lead Now. And basically the concept of it is, in your community, you can take a lead. You can take a lead, and here are seven key principles to do that. And, and they, they do it in a way that it's uh, action-based learning, so people would go back into their communities and then say how they're doing it straight away. One of the biggest places they get to this is in prison, and even seeing people taking a lead in prison. It's brilliant and fascinating. They're really good guys. But um, one of their key... Uh, uh, mantras of those, those seven principles. One of them is, if it's not working, change something. Which I think is so profound. Because actually, it, it links to, um, uh, it links to, to, well, actually, it links to another of my friends. So I'll, I'll go there uh, before we look at scripture. Um, even, uh, so last week, Phil and Marianne spoke really well as we're coming into this holiday season on rest. Phil and Marianne do a brilliant job of it, uh, leading their ministry, uh, their retreat place uh, over the Seven Estuary in Wales. And, uh, but I love that she said last week from this stage, rest is ultimately a work of faith. There's still something about if you're really going to invest, engage in rest, I know that they're saying to the people who come visit them, you need to change something. <laughs> because what you're coming here saying is, it's not working. Do you see what I mean? It's, and actually, you do need some faith to, to allow yourself to be stretched into the idea of rest. Oh, I can't afford not to. Oh, we can't, you know, that money's the reason. Something else is the reason. Something else is the reason. Actually, rest is ultimately a work of faith. It's good now. Um, here's the core understanding for me of the idea of stretch in the New Testament. Because so I think Jesus talks about it. And uh, he says in Luke 5, Luke 5, 37 to 39, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, 
The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we, can, we can start focusing on the vintages of previous years. 2003, amazing. Arsenal, the Invincibles, what a year. We'll start looking back on the years that we, that we most appreciated. But actually, there's something about, uh, I think Jesus saying, the new thing has to go into an environment where it's willing to stretch. A wineskin really was originally a skin. Um, so, you know, we, we kind of have those nice pictures of, uh, of like, you know, a, a pouch that people have. The reason that pouch is the shape that it is, it actually mimics the shape of a lamb's body. <laughs> because that's what an original wineskin was. And people would make a... a so when, when a, a lamb would be ready to be eaten, uh, all of the meat would be taken off of it, and actually all the skin would be taken off of the lamb and used as well. And they would, they would sew the skin together in that shape, as you can see, and they would turn it inside out. And that is what would then hold the wine. But for it to do that, the reason that new wine uh, had to go into new wineskins was that once the wine had gone into the skin, um, it oxidized, and then the elements within itself and the sun and everything else would then make the skin really brittle. So if you tried to pour new wine into an old wineskin, it's already gone through its stretch. You see, scientifically, it's gone through its stretch. It's responded to its environment and stretched. But actually, new wine must be in new wineskins. It's got to be. Uh, so Jesus is saying, there are people who will say, no, we don't want to change. The old is always better. But if God's doing a new thing, it always involves a stretch. And when we try to do it into environments where actually... They've gone through their stretch. It can ruin everything. Does that make sense? Um, let's go on to another of my heroes. This guy's mad. <laughs> I like him very much, and he's very intelligent. He's a Jewish South African who grew up in Australia and lectures in America. Um, he's, a, he's a professor of mission. Um, he's a really interesting guy. His name's Alan Hirsch. Um, and I'd really recommend his, his, his books if you're interested in church or growth or development of things or engagement in the 21st century. Um, he's written this amazing book called The Forgotten Ways. Uh, it's called uh, Reactivating the Missional Church, I think it's called. And he looks at the seven reasons that movements grow and develop. He looks at um, movements throughout the, the ages, and one of the movements... Um, and he says that there are certain things that are common. There are some things that happen sometimes that don't happen in others. Like he'd say, in some places, the Colombian uh, revival that there's been recently since the Medellin drugs cartels, that started with all of the leaders being martyred in the church. And he said, but that isn't, doesn't happen everywhere. But there's certain things that always happen. 
And this is what uh, he says, one of the things he says. The church of Jesus needs to wake up from the exile of passivity and embrace liminality and adventure or continue to remain a religious ghetto for culturally co-opted, fearful, middle-class folk. And what he means by liminality is one of the concepts in this book. And what he's meaning is liminality is when you, when you, uh, when you uh, have a cause that is bigger than yourself. If any of you have seen the TV show Band of Brothers, Band of Brothers is guys who have a cause greater than themselves. Why is it there are soldiers who, whose friends and colleagues um, fell 70, 60, 70 years ago and they're still visiting the place that that happened? Because they sacrificed for a greater cause than themselves. And that's what liminality is. So he basically says there's something about being willing to engage with a stretch, to be willing to go to that place. And this is what, uh, uh, this is my favorite uh, quote of his. The greatest obstacle to the spread of the gospel in the Western world in the 21st century. I feel like he does this like Michael Caine. You know, it's, I only speak in three word sentences. The greatest obstacle, spread of the gospel in the Western world in the 21st century is that the goal of our culture is comfort. So why is there something about engaging with a discipline, with a habit of being stretched, is that actually everything in our culture, the tide is saying, are you comfortable? You know, the, the whole, are you, your goal is to make your children more comfortable. You know, do your children feel comfortable? Do, does everything uh, point towards comfort and safety? That's the goal. And I don't think that is a godly habit. So how do we come against it? Well, um, I've got a great friend who I think does this thing very well. This is him. Uh, his name is Thomas Rucker, and uh, he's, uh, he's, he's not from Tromso. He's from uh, southwest uh, Norway. He's an amazing guy. But actually, one of, his, one of his spirits, one of the things I've been most, I've worked with him, uh, I speak to him on uh, uh, at least once a month, uh, for the last 11 years, and uh, he leads an amazing movement of God in Norway. He's quite a pop star, as you can probably see. Um, but as you may notice, he has a very interesting taste in hats. Yeah. And he also, almost everywhere he goes, he wears a tie. And, uh, and uh, I asked him, and, he, and uh, you know, he actually sends me, I wear a tie now on national, International Tie Day, Necktie Day, because of him. Yeah. And the reason he does it is because he said, I believe I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable. In my culture, um, you're not supposed to stick out. There's something about my culture. In Scandinavia, it's called yantalor. And yantalor basically means don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. I think we have a version of it in England, not as profound, uh, called tall poppy syndrome. Do you know what I mean? You pull people down. But, and he actually said, I believe God's called me to, uh, to, um, to stick out. And it's uncomfortable for me. But it's my habit. So why do I always wear a crazy hat and a necktie? Is because in my community, which has a lot of farmers in it, <laughs> I really stick out. And he really does. 
But it's actually a discipline for him. It's a discipline for him. It's a thing of actually putting himself in a position where he chooses to feel uncomfortable. For me, choosing to put myself in a position where I feel uncomfortable, I know those places as well. I think for me, doing uh, what Claire does with Breakout, I think is one of the most uncomfortable things I can think of. You're doing that kind of stuff where you're just on the streets. You know, there's the miracle question about, you know, if you could ask God uh, one, one uh, miracle, what would it be? Is one of the questions they ask. I'm the kind of guy that when I ask that sort of question, the answer would be that you go away. <laughs> you know, I don't... Uh, it's, uh, it, it, I know it's a thing that actually that for me is uncomfortable. So for me to be stretched is to what does it look like? Where is my area that is not comfortable? Where is my area that I'm actually putting myself in a position to say, I know I'm not comfortable where, but where do I choose to, to go for it anyway? Because I know that that's, where I, that's, my, that's my growth area. So that's the second question. Moment to think again. What's yours? Uh, where do you think God is calling you to be uncomfortable? How do you think you should respond? Final thoughts. Principles if you know that God's calling you to areas of stretch. I want to suggest to you, uh, um, this is my final hero. He's an amazing man. He came to our wedding. Uh, he lives in an area of uh, Anacostia. Uh, in Washington, D.C. He first moved there when it was the murder capital of the United States. When I went to visit him, it was a black ghetto. He, his was the only white family, his side of the river. And uh, he said, don't catch the underground to where we live. Uh, get off the other side of the river and I'll come pick you up because uh, you know, there's a murder within a block of me uh, a week and they won't like you. <laughs> And um, uh, so we went, to, uh, we went to visit him. And, uh, and they said, how do you live this way? And he said, do you think I'm motivated to pray? He said, I've got four kids and a beautiful wife. How do you think my prayer life is? And I said, better than mine. <laughs> and he went, yeah, probably is. He said, we've had it as a discipline my wife and I, they're actually, they're cultural, they're, they're Mennonites, uh, so based in the Amish, so they're pacifists, uh, but they have incredible favor because of the authority of what they do to the government in the States. They're involved with the, the prayer breakfast uh, with politicians. He said, I know my authority comes because I choose to live at the point of the threat. I choose to live at the point that helps my prayer life, I choose to live in that place. And where I think that is godly is that my favorite picture in scripture is of, uh, of this idea of the kingdom coming is Ezekiel 47, which is reflected again in Revelation 22, the river of God coming. 
And Ezekiel 47 has the picture of the river of God growing. And it, the, it, the, the, the prophet is shown around this temple and he walks around it and he walks under the altar and he sees that the, the river is flowing out from under the altar. And then it goes knee deep and ankle deep and wade steep and becomes a river that he cannot cross. And then it goes over the Arabah, the Great Depression. And then it goes into uh, the salt water and it says, uh, everything will be made fre fresh. And uh, there's a picture of healing and sustenance for the future that comes out of this amazing image. Yeah? But it says that the trees, trees represent people in scripture, that trees, uh, the trees will, bu will bud every month and their leaves will be for healing. And the reason that they will bud every month is because um, they, the water flows straight from the temple. Where does the water start in the temple? The water starts under the altar. Now where that's important, I think, is that the altar is understood to be the place of sacrifice. Do you see what I mean? So actually, the move of God, the river of God, the thing that God does, normally starts from a place of sacrifice. When somebody says, I'm wanting it really easy, and I've got this thing on, but I'm, I'm wanting to do the easy thing, I just think, I don't believe it works that way. I don't believe that it works that way. Because, uh, um, because I believe that the moves of God start with sacrifice. We've, we've had friends going through incredible... Um, uh, uh, they weren't seeing a breakthrough. That They weren't seeing a breakthrough at all. And it was only at the point of saying, are you willing to, to sell your home and move to the place where you think your breakthrough is supposed to be? Then everything went... And it all worked. There's something about the river of God starts with sacrifice. So expect it. Expect it. In a minute, are we going to... Two minutes for the kids? Great. Um, the kids are going to come and join us. But I, I'd like you to have a... The final question is, um, where, where for you to see breakthrough, does it, uh, could it start with sacrifice? Where for you could it start with sacrifice? Where do you think God is calling you to see a new thing happen? And what does sacrifice look like there? And I want to give you just four quick little P checkpoints um, to ask yourself if it's right. Uh, the first is, is there resources for this? Is God providing? Because if I know that God's calling me to do something, can I afford it? Uh, if God orders, he pays the bill. Is there, I think money is often the biggest guide. Our daughter Amy um, has, has been at Bethel for the last couple of years. She's had such an experience of seeing God providing for the things that she really is supposed to do and not providing for the things that she isn't. She really wanted to go to Thailand and work, uh, and see, and work with uh, seeing people recovering from the sex industry. Um, and the money didn't come in. She ended up going to Las Vegas and doing the same thing for much less money. And I don't think she could have coped with Thailand yet. Because God hadn't guided that way. So is there the resources for this? I think it's a good sign. Secondly, provision, people. Does this stretch put me in right relationship with others 
or, in, or my attitude in a right place. If, I need, if I'm stretched to actually go and engage with somebody in a way that I wasn't expecting to, if, I've got a, if my stretch I know is reconciliation with somebody, does it put you in right relationship? Thirdly, uh, am I peaceful about this? Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ referee in your heart. If it's a stretch, do you actually feel like, yeah, it is a stretch, but actually, I'm peaceful about it. And finally, uh, is it healthy for you? Actually, for you and for your family, is it healthy to consider this kind of a stretch? Not just to be carried, but actually, I think this will help us get to where we're called to be. So the kids are going to come in and join us in just a minute. But have a moment to think. We'll have some music playing. Where's your place of stretch? Where's your place of sacrifice? Where's the place that God's calling you to? Is it excuses that you're using to not be if it puts you in right relationship with people? He's providing and it's healthy for you. Let's have a moment to pray as the kids come in.